morning, South Potomac Church. Oh, how are you this morning? It's been great. This worship is amazing. I thought maybe can we just keep worshiping for another half hour and you, you don't need me. This is, this is amazing. Hey, listen, um, uh, she uh, introduced my wife, but I want to just, if you'd say hello to Terry, who's down here um, with us. She's my anchor and all the better parts of me from her, so uh, I just want to make sure that you get a chance to, to know her. You know, Terry and I were with you guys about this time last year. Uh, we got to come and, and, and be a part of your worship and enjoy your church and your hospitality. Dave and I have been friends for a long time. We share a passion for small group ministry. Um, and Dave and actually Corinza and I met each other years ago and have learned from each other over the course of the years how to do this. And as we've done that, we've become closer and closer friends. So we were down about a year ago to visit the Huffmans and got to worship with you guys and have been looking for an opportunity to come back down again. So we were privileged when Dave gave us the call and said, hey, will you come down and will you worship with us? And can we open the Bible and take a look at the book of Joshua and see what's going on in, in the stories that you guys have been walking through? So we're going to jump right into that. But before we do, will you just pray with me for a second? Oh, Heavenly Father, your will and not mine. Your words, not mine. Father, we, your Holy Spirit, have its way today. Open our hearts to hear your word. Let it be life for us. Let it be light to us today. And whatever you want to have happen in our hearts, let us be open to that as well. We just surrender to you and look forward to hearing what you have for us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hear you guys have been talking about courage. Be strong and courageous, right, as you've walked through the book of Joshua so far. What an exciting time as you think about um, the, what the people of Israel have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years, the promise to enter into the promised land. And now it's come. You guys have walked over the Sea of Jericho or the, uh, the uh, um, River of Jericho, right? A miracle walked to the very first challenge that God had there and around the walls of Jericho over and over again. And they came tumbling down, a miracle. Um, You've had the excitement of seeing God move in such exciting ways. And you've actually experienced God's love in this victory at Jericho and on the Jordan River. Today we're going to turn the page and we're going to start in chapter 7 of the book of Joshua, and we're going to see something completely different. We're going to see not only how God loves us in victory, but how he loves us and loved the people of Israel in their defeat. He said, defeat? What do you mean? They, they walked around the walls. They did exactly what God said. The walls came tumbling down. They took over the city. But as you know, and I know, and maybe we don't say in church enough because well, we're afraid we'll all just run rampant, Even God's kids, even God's kids who walk with him and are spirit-filled, well, sometimes we mess up. Is that true? God's people, we get off track. We come off the rails sometimes, and and we don't like to talk about it, but it's just a fact. It's part of what happens. And the truth is, most often, it happens when things are going really well. You know, I don't know why that's true. Maybe we just get off our guard a little let it down and, and some things happen or, or maybe we come, become a bit proud about how things are happening and we forget to connect with God but just like in the story with the people of Israel here we're going to find out that sometimes God's people even his kids 
mess up and what happens when you do. So if you have a Bible and you're with us in the book of Joshua in chapter 7 and verse 1, the first word of verse 1 is but. Now when you read but in the Bible, something's coming different, right? You guys have been in the victory of challenge of the city of Jericho, take it on that courageously. Now there's something else to take on courageously because it says, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Now, if you were here last week, you talked about what the devoted things were, right? Not only did he tell them how to go around the city to blow the horn and the walls were going to come down, but he said, when you go in there and when you take over that city, take nothing for yourself. Everything's to be devoted to me. Like you'll devote a lamb in, in, the, um, in a sacrifice. It's to be devoted and destroyed to God. Don't take anything for yourself. That was part of the instructions. But if you keep going, in Joshua 7.1, what do you see happened? It said, Achan, the son of Carmi, well, he took some of them, some of those devoted things. Exactly what had been said, don't do this. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Achan decided he knew better than God did what he should do with God's resources. Now, we're never guilty of that, are we? We never decide that we know better what to do with the things God has given or provided for us than he does. So we can't really relate to that. But I want to tell you, well, can I tell you what my definition of sin is? I think it's pretty biblical. You can tell me what you think about it. Here's what I tell you about sin. Anytime you or I decide that we know better than God what's good for us, that's sin. Since any time you or I decide we know better than God what's good for us, Achan decided he knew better than God what was good for him. And that wasn't the only sin. You know, verse 1 had told us the Israelites were unfaithful. If, if you continue to read, you see there were some other places that began to happen. Here had been this great victory in the city of Jericho. And so the people of Israel, they decided, well, we're going to go on. And they head to the next city to the west, the city of Ai. And they look and they go, we can take that. Well, now, if you remember last week, before taking Jericho, they sat with God. They sat with the angel of God, who we'd surprised might have been, even have been Jesus. They made a plan. They carried out his plan as best they could, and they were victorious. But there is no sign of anybody stopping to talk to God here. They just marched forward to take the next town. And interestingly enough, I think if they'd have stopped and asked God what we should do, he'd probably said, there's something back here we've got to take care of first. There's something going on in the camp. Before you go forward, we need to deal with but sometimes, you know, and we get a little prideful and we decide, all right, God, I got this one. I can take this. I'll call you when I need you again. And, and we head forward to do it ourselves. So we've got this sin of, of kind of rebellion and, and, and just disobedience. And we have this sin of pride. And then you see in verse 5 what happened. It says, they, the people of Ai, chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. And at this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. They retreated. They came back. You would think they would have gone back humbly to God and said, what do we do? But that's not what happened. Now, in verse 7, when Joshua and the elders are praying, we see this. We see, here's the prayer. Sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan? To deliver us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. God, this was your fault. Now we're blaming God. 
Now we're complaining and blaming God, and I know you and I never do that. We ne- when things start going wrong, we never turn and blame it all on God when probably it was really us that had the issue. But we just see what happens when we decide we know better than God does. Well, God steps in, right? In, in verse 11, he finally speaks and he says, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. Them to keep. And on a little ways later said, this is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. You know what? Why does God get angry at sin? Why does he get upset? What's his, what's his outlook when we fail? God gets upset because he understands something I think we don't. He understands how destructive sin is. He understands what the outcome's gonna be. Like when we get upset when our kids go running across the street without looking either way, or they're playing next to the hot stove without even thinking about it, you know, sometimes we'll get upset, and we, not because we're angry or not because we wanna hurt them, no, but because we know how destructive the next step can be for them. We know the pain that comes. God understands that. He understands what we don't. He understands that sin always separates, always destroys. That with sin there is always some kind of death. What is Romans 6.23? Everybody knows that, right? For the wages of sin is death. The outcome of sin is death. The result of sin is always going to be death. But the gift of God is eternal life. See, God has a plan for us. God has something great he wants to give us and he doesn't want us to miss out on it. That's why he gets angry at sin. That's why he hates the things that separate us from him. He hates when we fail because of our choices. He understands that there's no such thing, by the way, as a a sin that only affects me. That sin never is just a private affair. That it always causes collateral damage. God's desire is for us to let go and let him be God so that he can work out the very purposes that he created us for in our lives so that we can enjoy everything that he has for us. But here's the thing, when you and I decide we know better than God about some area of our lives, when we kind of set ourselves up for, for, for an area to say, I'll be God in this place, I'll know whether it's about a relationship or about my work life or about whatever that might be, you know what happens? He's going to let us do that. He's not going to force himself on us. He's a gentleman, and he will let that happen to us as we walk into the choices that we have. But here's the question I want to talk about today. How does God respond to our failure? How does he respond to that sin? And maybe this is not what we usually think, and maybe this isn't what we always heard, but can I tell you that God always responds with love to our mistakes, to our failures. Now you may look and go, what are you talking about? Do you, have you read the Old Testament? You, <laughs> I see pain, I see anger, I see what looks like wrath, what you know, is that? But I just challenge you, look deeper. Look deeper into what's going on there because I see in the Old Testament this story of us who is always running off to our own way, who is always trying to make decisions in our own life without God, and then I see a God who is chasing after his people all the time, who is pursuing his folks in love, not wanting to allow them to experience 
the pain and the things that happen to us. He'll pursue his kids until they turn to him because he radically loves us. Because he loves us, always he exposes sin. He's going to bring us out of the darkness and into the light. Jesus said it this way, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. And you know why that is, I think? Because in the dark, good and evil look alike. In the dark, it's hard to see the difference in good and evil. And we can kid ourselves and sometimes we can fool ourselves and sometimes we can be completely deceived or deceive others. But in the light of the word, in the light of God, they're clearly distinguished. So he wants to bring light to the situation. When he exposes something, it's not because he's angry. It's not because he wants to hurt us. It's because he loves us. Now we, in our human nature, typically when that light comes on and the exposure happens, well, how do we tend to react? We have two choices. You know, we could... We can deny what's in front of us. We can deny the offense. We can square up our shoulders and try and minimize what we see, minimize that sin, justify our behavior. We can say, okay, this is just different. This was a special situation. I'm not hurting anybody but me. No one's ever going to find out. We can redirect and we can hide the results. And if we do that, God can't help us because we're still facing away from him and we're marching towards that darkness. He wants us to... Put all that aside. God's desire for us is that we would stop and turn towards him. That's the answer for when we're caught in that and what happens. What would he desire us is for us to stop and, and turn towards him. And do you know what he does the instant we turn towards him? Because I do. Because I've been that guy who walked away from what I knew was right, who, who blew up everything around me, who left everyone and everything around me in just ashes and destruction because I decided I knew better than God did. It was not a while back that as a pastor of a, or one of the pastors on staff of a church, I had an affair with one of the other leaders that was on staff of that church, I sinned against my Lord and walked from him. I broke this woman's heart. I sinned against her and betrayed her. I broke her spirit. I disappointed my kids. My friends around me who were doing ministry with me, I hurt them, I troubled them, and all I saw around me because of my selfishness was dark ashes of the destruction that I had caused. The weight of the shame was more than I could ever describe to you. The condemnation that was there on, that I was putting on myself was just heavier than I could imagine to lift. I expected God's judgment. I expected I would never, ever be able to serve him again. I, everything I'd ever done, I thought, was loss. I expected... God's wrath and certainly his back turned towards me and I was so the weight of that shame was so heavy all I could really think to do all I could even imagine was just to turn to him the Jesus I'd walked with for 40 years and say help and do you know what he did 
I've realized now he did what he's always done, what he always does when we turn to him. He rescued me. He rescues us when that happens. He so rescued us that he even came and told us he was going to rescue us. It was not many days after the light came on, the exposure of that was, and Terry and I were sitting um, in our kitchen. It had been a horrible week. We didn't know what we thought about anything. We didn't know how to talk to each other, how to talk to God, how to figure out how to take the next step. But it was Sunday, and we decided we're going to church. Not the church we'd been in, but we were going to church. And we're sitting there eating breakfast, getting ready to go, and watching another church that we have lots of uh, respect for. And all of a sudden, the speaker and there just looked at us. He actually said, there's, before I go any further in this message, there's something I have to say. I think God has a message for somebody out there. And his head got as big as our kitchen, in my face, at least. And he looked and he said, I, you need to hear this. I want you to know this word from the Lord. My son, you are my son. My daughter, you are my daughter. And I am not here as your judge. I'm here as your rescuer. And I don't, we just looked at each other and the tears started coming down. Because I realized God's hand was stretched out and he was saying, come with me, I'm here to rescue you. I can take you down a few days later in my quiet time and my quiet times back then, they were simply me crying and praying and crying and praying. And God took me to the foot of the cross, the cross that I'd been at when I was a teenager and accepted him. And in my eyes, this is as vivid as it was that day. He said, look up there. Look, because I was at the foot of the cross. And he said, right there, nailed to that cross, is this very sin that you did and all the sins that surrounded it. And it has been there since the day Jesus went on that cross 2,000 years ago. He said, 40-some years ago, when I chose you and you accepted me, that sin was there and I knew what was going to happen. And I chose you. And my heart broke open. For the first time, the love of God just seeped in like never before. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us to the kingdom of the son he loves. That's exactly what he's done for us. He's rescued us. Because he loves me, says Psalms 91, I will rescue him, I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. Can I show you a picture somebody sent me, one of my friends? That was me. With the hammer and the nail in my hands to the Lord that I had, I had betrayed, and all he did was catch me in his arms. That's what he does to his kids when we fail him. Colossians 1.22 but now he has reconciled you by, the, by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, to present you and me without blemish and free from accusation. God was there to tell me, my Lord paid for that when he died on the cross and there was no more payment being looked for. Had we destroyed, had I destroyed things all around me? Was there a price that, ha that was just happened, the results of sin, absolutely. It was devastating. 
But in God's eyes, that was done for him. It was not going to come between us. He was there to rebuild and re- reconnect us again. All of a sudden, stories in the Bible that I had read hundreds of times and, and spoke about dozens of times came to life. What about the prodigal son? You know, I think I'd been the elder son. I think I'd been the guy who wanted everything to just fall in perfectly. You know, be just, be right. But now I was absolutely the prodigal son. I had betrayed the, the Lord in, in ways I couldn't imagine how much worse could I have been. Walked away, hurt the people that were around me. Just like the prodigal son who was in the slop and turned and said, I can't do anything else but go back. I'm not sure how noble that, that he might have been in heading back. He just said, there's nothing else I can do. And, and, and I did the same. I think maybe this next verse is one of the best verses in the Bible. It's certainly the, one of the most powerful. In fact, let me read it as I heard it when I read it that day. Because see, I heard, so he got up and went to his father. So I got up and went to my father. And while I was a long way off, The father saw me and was filled with compassion for me, and he ran to his son. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And that's exactly what I was experiencing. God had thrown his arms around me. He had thrown the robe around me. He had put the ring on my finger and the sandals on my feet and said, I just want to be with you. Welcome home. And that's what he does for all of us, his kids. Jesus told that story to the Pharisees and to the disciples when they were asking about how does God look at sin. And it wasn't many weeks later that Jesus was living that out in front of everyone. Because Peter, one of his closest friends and and closest disciples, was about to hurt him. It was the last day before the trial. Peter knew what was about to come and he said, Jesus, I'm with you. Don't you worry. I'm going to walk it with you. I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to die with you. And Jesus just looked and said, no, you're not. In fact, in just a few hours, we see another scene. Jesus is on trial, being beaten, probably as lonely as can be, and within eyeshot, Peter's out there, and the, the conversation goes like this. Someone notices him and says, hey, aren't you with him? No, I don't know him at all. No, I, I saw you in the garden with him. I know it's you. No, it's not me. I have never seen that man. No, no, I'm pretty sure. And then he says no, and actually curses at them. And then realizes he's just betrayed his Lord. That he spent six years with the Lord. He's denied and denied him. And that weight falls on him. But you and I are treated to another scene not too far down the road. Just a few days later, after Jesus has been resurrected, there's Jesus, there's Peter, there's all his disciples, or most of them, We're on the beach at Galilee, and the conversation goes like this. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you, Lord. He said, well, good. Feed my sheep. What we're witnessing is Jesus passing the mantle of leadership and his ministry from him to Peter as he's going to leave. And and I'm like, that's not the conversation I expected. What are you, you know, I expected, what were you thinking? Or, I told you so. Or even worse, Peter, I had these amazing plans for you, but I can't do that now. But that's not the conversation, because Peter had come running back to Jesus, and Jesus was busy putting the robe back on his shoulders, and putting the ring back on his hand, and putting 
sandals back on his feet and said, let's get on with what we're supposed to do because that's how it works. God is crazy about you and me. He wants to be with us. He loves us just the way we are. He's not asking to clean up before you come back. And he's not asking us to change anything to be right with him. He's going to move in our hearts. Absolutely. But he wants us to be with him more than anything. We're not talking about sin before you were saved. We're talking about that Christ died for all the sin. Today's, tomorrow's, everything you've done, he's taken and accepts you just the way you are. How do we, how do you and I respond to that? How do we respond to that? What if God sat down with you today and put his arm around you right here and just said, I love you. And whatever's going on, I want to be a part of it. My friend, if if you're the person here and you're trapped in that sin, you're in that darkness, there's only one thing you can really do. I just implore you to flee from that. You can't fight temptation. You can't win that battle. You can only flee. And can I tell you something? You can't do it by yourself. You can't get out of it by yourself. You need somebody. That's why the church is here. That's why we're so intertwined together. So will you tell somebody where you are? Will you tell somebody and bring that darkness into light? Because that's what happens. When you tell somebody, then the pain and the, and the, the struggle that you're in, it gets released. It's now out in the open, and you've got some folks to help you. You need somebody to help you. You cannot do this alone. But let me tell you something. If you're like me and you can't get out of that, the darkness is so dark you can't tell the difference in good and evil, that you may even think what you're doing is good, that you just can't, you can't imagine that. I want to tell you something. It's okay. Don't worry about it. God's coming. He's pursuing. And he's going to bring the light to it. It's going to be opened up. But that's okay because he's not trying to hurt and he's not trying to be angry. He's trying to love you and bring you out into the light because he's amazing in his love for us. He's not going to let you go. If you're his kid, he's never going to give up. He's going to keep pursuing no matter how far we run until he's got us. So maybe the light's come on for you. Maybe it's been exposed recently. Maybe it's been a year ago. Maybe you're still carrying the weight of what you did. Maybe there's still shame or maybe that there's still guilt. Maybe you feel condemned in what you're doing. And can I tell you that that doesn't come from God? Can I tell you something? God has a mountain of grace, and I don't care how much sin you have, you can't overcome his mountain of grace. I don't care if this is your fifth time back, your tenth time back, your 400th time back, your sin, you can't manufacture enough sin for God's grace can't cover. Romans 5.20 says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Can I tell you something? Sin is not the end. It's never the end. Please don't put a period where God's put a comma in your life. He's got something new and more. Sin is not the end of your life. It's not the end of your ministry. It doesn't have to be the end of your marriage. It's not the end of your usefulness. Sin will not be the end of your reputation. God has something bigger than you've ever had before. He is going to take what's been wrong and make it right. Wait till you see what he's going to do. Isaiah 30, 18 says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. Let me tell you, God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a hurt. He will always take bad and turn it into good. 
God wasn't surprised by my affair. It wasn't like he didn't see it coming. He didn't cause it, but he knew it was going to come. In fact, not only was he not surprised, he loves me so much, he had been planning exactly how he was going to use that for his purposes. God loves us so much that while he doesn't cause our sin, he's got a plan for how it's going to become something better already before you ever have committed it. Our Lord loves us so much. St. Augustine said it this way. It was actually Paul's verse. You'll recognize it. But St. Augustine paraphrased like this, that for those who love God, everything works unto good, even sin. All of God's kids are broken. All of God's kids are broken. Even the spirit-filled kids are broken. We're all broken. Not a little. Not God just patch it up and we'll be good. We're broken and we desperately need him. And he desperately wants to be with us. Isn't that an amazing story? God knows it already. He wants us to receive his radical and ridiculous love. He wants us to see him running towards you with his arms wide open and ask you to come in. God has no conditions for your return. First and foremost, he wants to be with you. Whatever you've got, bring it with you. Don't clean it up before you bring it. He's going to take much better care of it than we would ever do. Guilt doesn't come from God. Shame doesn't come from God. Condemnation doesn't come from God. Most of us have it. Did I have it? It was a weight I couldn't, couldn't lift. But Romans 8, 1 says that there is no condemnation to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So know that that's not from him. He wants to love you like you've never been loved before. He wants to rescue you, restore you. He wants to show you that he is the master of resurrection. The things that you may have killed with your sin, he has the power to resurrect. Terry and I would look at each other today and say, our marriage is better than it's ever been. We wouldn't trade what we have now for anything. We don't like the way we got to it. But God has resurrected something better and bigger than we've ever had. He's in, the, he's in the resurrection business. He's our redeemer, and he wants to redeem us. God wants to take the most broken part of you and me and turn it into our strongest tool for the kingdom. Whatever you think is useless and broken and that thing that continues, you know, whatever habit or hurt or whatever, whatever, um, just obsession or thing that we can't get rid of, that thing that just won't let us go. God wants to take that weakness and turn it into the most strongest thing you have to use in the kingdom. Can you imagine that? Would you let him do that? I have one more thing that I want to say. <clears throat> we can't do this alone. We need each other. We need each other to recover. God wants to use everyone in this room. God wants to use you and me to be the tangible hands of love for the folks that are hurting, that those are recovering, that those that are caught in sin. So don't be afraid of that because our job is to love each other and God's job is to fix us. Our job is to love each other. We create the environment where the love can happen and God loves them. We create the, the place that God can move by just loving folks and being there with them. And he asks us, we don't have to be the judge. We don't have to fix anybody. He'll do the fixing. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to go towards somebody who is trapped in that darkness and locked in that sin. Don't be afraid that if I'm there with them, I'm going to be condoning what they're doing. I can't. Jesus, you know, Jesus didn't do that. 
He got in the most trouble with the religious people because he was eating with the sinners, right? Eating with the folks that, well, that's, that's, he wants us to love him and let him do the work of changing him, can let him see who, we, who he is through our love. Can I just tell you this? Here's my theory about that. Just overwhelm sin with God's grace and love. That's how you're gonna win. How do you deal with sin for ourselves? I, I, my suggestion is this. When it comes to sin, be relentless with yourself. Be relentless with yourself because, of, because I love God, because he showed me such amazing love, now I want to be obedient. Now I want to walk with him and make him happy. I don't need to make him happy to have him love me. I want to because of this incredible love that he has. Be relentless with yourself concerning sin, but when it comes to everybody else, give overwhelming portions of God's grace because they need your love and they need his grace everywhere. We need to show God's grace to everybody. I remember every single person that came to me, I remember every single word that they said in love, every one. I remember the day your pastor called me. There's some other folks in your church that sent its text and called. I remember the people because it was breath for me. I remember because on the day when I was dying of thirst, it was the only drink that I got and it got me through the next day. Whether it was the text or the letter or the call or the let's go to lunch because I needed, I couldn't live without it. Be that for somebody, would you? How do we recover from personal failure? Here it is, just turn around. The Bible says repent. Do you know what the word repent means? Turn around. It means turn around and when you turn around and you see God, face him and, and picture and understand that God is running towards you with outstretched arms. Get ready to experience his radical and crazy overwhelming love. He's going to pursue his kids till they turn around and then he's going to radically love them till they're healed. That's what's happened in the Joshua story. Had he not shown that sin to everyone, then you and I wouldn't know what the name of Israel meant today. Had he not exposed Achan's sin and the sin of Israel, there wouldn't be an Israel anymore. It would have ended right then. And had they not run back to him, then the story that you're going to continue to read for the next few weeks about an Israel that went in hand in hand with God and conquered all of the people and all of the towns and all of the folks that were against God together, that wouldn't be the story. But because they did, that's where you're headed. So I pray, if you're sitting here today, separate from God or separated or under the burden of your past, let it go. Lay down that burden and come running to the Father who's got his arms ready to run towards you. Will you pray with me? Father, there's somebody in this room that's lost in that darkness. And I pray for them, Lord, that they don't leave this place today before they tell somebody. Whether it's a friend or a pastor or a small group leader, or they can even come tell me up here if they want. But tell somebody so that they can be set free, so that the light of the love of God, the light of the word of Jesus can change their lives, can bring them back. And Father, for anyone and everyone who's sitting here with guilt or shame, or letting something they've done in the past stand in their way, let them know God has a future for them. Sin is not the end. 
that God has amazing things in, the, in store that what they think was their weakness is gonna be their strength. Lord, let them tell somebody about that. Father, let them come forward and get prayed for, but don't sit there. Today is the day. Don't let anyone sit there and go through and leave this place without laying down that burden, without giving it up. Lord Jesus, we love you. We are so grateful that you came to die on the cross for us so that sin no longer has any power in our lives, that sin has no power because it doesn't come between us and God, that we can walk right into the presence of God and experience his love because you died for us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.